This morning, I'm going to start with a question that might make us uncomfortable, a question that might uh, honestly mess up our, our day, a question that might cause us to have to reconsider a whole bunch of things, a question that might make us want to find a different church, or at least not come so often to this church, a question that once you hear it, you might wish you hadn't heard it, and so you're going to have to act like you didn't ha hear it. Maybe for the rest of the sermon, you're going to have to try and go to sleep or work on your to-do list. But it is a question that we need to answer today. It is a question that we must, in fact, answer today. In these days that we're living in, in these days before Jesus comes back very soon, in these crucial days, we need to answer this question. The question is this, how committed should we be to our Savior, Jesus? How committed should we be to his cause? The question is, how committed should we be in these days as the church of Jesus Christ, as individual followers of Jesus Christ, the question I'm asking you that I'm asking us this morning is this, how committed should we be? Today there is a word and it's used for some people, really it's an ideology, and that word is a nominal Christian, a nominal Christian. Now it means or it identifies a person that is a Christian in name only. For whatever reason they see value in carrying the name of Jesus Christ, but they are a Christian in name only, a nominal Christian. Another word or another phrase that has uh, taken shape lately, that has come about lately, is the word or the idea of a Christian atheist, a Christian atheist. That is a person that claims Christ and yet lives in practice in the neglect of their faith in Jesus Christ. They claim a faith in Jesus Christ and yet they actually live as if he were not real, a Christian atheist. Well, if that is the one extreme and then on the other extreme, you have some kind of sold out, radical, cooked out zealot for Jesus Christ. The question is, where should we fall on that spectrum? How committed to Christ should we be? Well, at the risk that you would not listen to the rest of the sermon, I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer. How committed to Christ should we be? Here's the answer. We should be as committed to Christ as he is to us. Today, we're going to see just such a radical commitment in our verses as they unfold today. Our message today is entitled, A Consuming Commitment. A Consuming Commitment. Today, we've moved to the 18th chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11, a consuming commitment. Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus 
having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working. For by trade, they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in a synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household and many of the Corinthians when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And he settled there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, we're thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful for an opportunity to praise you, to worship you. We're thankful for an opportunity to draw closer to you. We're thankful for your word, that you speak to us through it, that you lead us, that you direct us. Lord, I, I pray now that, that you have been honored so far in our service. I pray that now in the preaching of your word, that this would truly be a supernatural event. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would open our ears to hear, our hearts to receive. I pray, Lord, that we would be convicted, that we would be taught, that we would be instructed in these passages today. Lord, I pray the result would be that your name would be exalted, that your name would be glorified, and that folks would find Jesus Christ, that they would trust you in faith this very day. Lord, we come and again we say we love you, we worship you, we exalt you, we thank you, and we pray in your holy name, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today we continue moving with Paul on his second missionary journey. That's where we're at as we move through the pages of, of the book of Acts. Uh, today we have now concluded the 17th chapter and we move into the 18th chapter again uh, recounting this second missionary journey of Paul. Now let's begin very quickly with our verses. Going to, to verse 1, chapter 18. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. A very simple verse. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. Now it starts off and it says, after these things. Now I want you to remember uh, what these things included. He has now preached the gospel of Jesus Christ in Philippi. Uh, there he was beaten and he was run out of the city for the message that he preached. He went from there to the city of Thessalonica. There he has preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
he there was beaten and run out of the city for the gospel that he preached. He went from there to Berea, and there he again preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and once again, he is run out of town for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ that he preaches. He has gone to Athens. That was our account the last two weeks. He has gone to Athens, and there we, re- we remember from last week, he preaches this tremendous sermon. There in the midst of these folks that are religious, but are ignorant of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he preaches a smart, a tremendous sermon. He lays out the truth of the gospel, the good news of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says that some got saved, and praise the Lord, some received Christ in the hearing of the good news. The Bible says that some said they would agree to come back. We would like more information, and they agree to come back for a further hearing. But the Bible says most of the people rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it says they curled up their faces, they sneered at Paul for the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Most of the people rejected the truth that he preached. And so it is after those things that he leaves Athens to go to Corinth. Now, Corinth, you have to understand really is a crazy city at this time. Uh, It is a boomtown of sorts. It has become the leading city of Greece. It has replaced Athens. Athens at one time was. Well, now it has replaced Athens. And it it is on the major trade route. And if you're to go from north or south or south to north, all the points pass through the city of Corinth. It has become the center of the political world. And so all of the politics, all of the movers and shakers, they are in this city. It was a commercial and a business success as a city. Folks went there to trade, and it was a successful commercial city. Well, because of the influx of people, because of the mixing of their ideas and their cultures, this thriving city had become a wicked city. In fact, the name Corinth in that day was synonymous with immorality. We might say like like Las Vegas, sin city. Well, the name Corinth in the same way had that same meaning. There was one pagan temple there that had a thousand priestesses, prostitutes on duty every single night. A thousand. Well, Paul leaves Athens and he makes his way to Corinth. That's what the verse says. It is a 53-mile walk. Now, we have a luxury from our vantage point. We can go look at the the other accounts in the New Testament and we can see what was going on here in the book of Acts. From the letter that Paul writes to the Corinthians, from the letter that he writes to the Thessalonians, We find that as he leaves Athens and he makes his way the 53 miles to Corinth, that Paul is tired on the trip. We find that he is fearful on the trip. He doesn't want to be beaten anymore. He's been beaten savagely. Uh, Many say that he was probably sick and maybe it was an infection from the beatings he had sustained. Maybe it was internal damage that he was carrying with him but he is fearful of being beaten as he leaves this city to head to the pagan city of Corinth. 
the evidence is in his other letters, he is greatly, heavily discouraged as he makes the trip. Timothy and Silas came to Athens. They have been sent back out on different missions. Timothy actually carries the letter to the Thessalonians. And so he is making the trip alone. He is tired on the trip. He is fearful on the trip. He has been beaten as he makes the trip. He is in great discouragement as he makes the trip. And so the Bible tells us he journeys from Athens to Corinth. He plods along on this trip. I wonder what the dialogue is in his head. He's a man. Sometimes we forget that. He is a man. And I wonder what the dialogue is as he makes the trip to this new city, as he thinks about the things that have happened in the past cities. I wonder what he thinks about as he makes the trip. Does he think of the cost? At one time, he had friends at one time, he had a future in society. At one time, he was esteemed a great legal mind. Does he think of the cost as he makes the trip? Does he question the plan? Surely, God, this is not the best way. Surely, God, there's a better way than this. Surely there is. I wonder if he questions himself. Maybe, maybe there's somebody better. Surely there is. Maybe there's somebody stronger. Maybe there's somebody more effective. They don't hear his words, it seems. They're rejecting the message of Christ. Maybe there's somebody better for this. I wonder if he questions himself. And step after step for 53 dusty miles, in great discouragement, he plods on. I was thinking about this. And I thought about Moses in the Old Testament. And there's the account of Moses in the Old Testament on a very similar day. He is walking with the same emotions. He can't figure out God's plan. He is discouraged in his role. And it says this, listen, Numbers chapter 11, verses 11 through 15. So Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you've laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they weep before me saying, give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. Listen to this. So if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Moses says, I don't want to live any longer like this. How committed should we be? How committed should we be? And after these things, he left Athens, and guess what? And went to Corinth, verse 2. And he found a Jew named Aquila, 
a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them. In Corinth, once he gets there, he finds a couple. The Bible says they were originally from Pontus. They had lived in Rome until they were forced out of Rome because of the trouble that the Jews were making there. And so the Jews are, are causing an uprising. And so they are forced out of Rome. And he is settled here in Corinth. Aquila has a wife, Priscilla. The Bible says he was a Jew. Now, I think it's interesting. We're not sure if they were saved in the preaching of Paul. It's possible they are Jewish. And maybe in the preaching of Paul, they find and receive Christ. But most likely the case was they were saved in the church in Rome. There's a church there. And, and the fact that they take Paul in would seem to show us that they were already believers by the time they get to Corinth. And so he finds this couple there. Listen to verse 3. He came to them, verse 2, in verse 3, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working. For by trade they were tent makers. Now this couple, they were tent makers by trade. Paul was as well. And so the Bible says in verse 3, they began to work together. Now the tents were large tents. They were made out of heavy leather or goat hair fabric. And so it was a hard labor. It was a hard task. Now I want you to see something here. Not only is he alone, not only is he discouraged, but notice this, Paul needs money. Did you notice that as you read through that? Paul needs money. Paul, the great apostle, Paul, the great preacher, Paul, the great legal mind, needs money. And so he makes tents. Don't miss this. He is so committed to the cause that whatever he needs to do to stay in the cause, you see, he didn't need to go to Corinth. He didn't need to keep traveling around, but he's so committed to the cause that whatever he needs to do to stay in the cause, that's what he does. And so during the long days, during the week, he makes tents. Here's the question again. So how committed to the cause of Christ should we be? Would we pay to be in his cause? That's what Paul does. Verse four. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Listen to verse four again. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Now I want you to see this. Remember the word reasoning from a couple of weeks ago. It means to speak for a conclusion. That's what it is to reason. It is to speak trying to arrive at a conclusion. It most literally translates to go from one side to the other. And so it's to start on one side of the subject and to reason through the subject all the way to the other side of the subject. It is to thoroughly cover 
the subject. Now we know for Paul, it is to take the scriptures and to explain from the very start all the way to the end, the story of Jesus Christ. It is to thoroughly expand the scriptures, revealing the truth of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, and in doing so, he is trying to persuade a couple of things, both Jews and Greeks. Now what that means is both Jews and non-Jews. He is trying to reach all the people. The word for persuade means to induce by words, to convince or to call to put confidence in. And so understand, Paul is laboring at expounding the scripture He is laboring at explaining the good news of Jesus Christ, and the the purpose of that, the goal of that, is that he would persuade people to believe. I want to tell you something. Today, our culture has made that a bad thing. Today, our culture has made that a rude thing to try and persuade somebody, to convince somebody to to follow Jesus Christ. And today people will say, you know what? I know my truth and and I'm glad I know my truth and I'm glad you have your truth. But you know what? I'm not trying to proselytize anybody. I'm not trying to convince. I'm not trying to convert anyone. 10 years ago, I remember this. We set out here as a church to go to every house in Vernon. We've done it three and a half times. And you know what? We're going to go. We're going to take a New Testament. We're going to ask them if they have a relationship with Christ. We're going to go to every house in Vernon. It's it's not the most efficient way, but it is a way to to tell folks of the good news. We launch out, and it's pretty exciting. We train a bunch of folks, and we go out, and we're trained. If you come across somebody, and they say, I have a church home, our next response is to say, well, let us pray for your pastor and your church. We're going to encourage them in the church that they go to. Well, it was about two weeks in that I had two pastors call me. One of them wanted me to go see him. I did. The other one just called me. And he said, we hear rumors from our people that you're trying to proselytize our folks. And they were upset with that. They couldn't understand that. I had to tell them what we were trying to do, told them what we would do if they had a church home, that we would pray for them. But friends, I want you to hear me, and I want you to be very clear in this. Listen very carefully. There is one gospel. There is one truth. And apart from it, I don't care what church you're going to, what church you've been to, apart from that one truth, people are lost, people are doomed, and they're hopeless in their sin. And so I want you to hear me today, church. So yes, we try to persuade. Yes, we try to convert. Yes, we try to convince. Yes, we try to compel people to believe the truth of the only gospel by which they must be saved, the truth of Jesus Christ. You trying to convert these folks? Amen. Yes, we are. Don't know why somebody else isn't as well. Yes, we convert folks. Yes, we persuade folks. It is the only truth by which people are saved. Paul's reasoning the best he can He is working at it. His goal is that he would persuade some that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Christ, 
the Savior of God. Verse 5. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself. First time I read that, I thought, what was the other? Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Now let me explain verse five. Timothy and Silas come to Corinth. They were with him in Athens. They've left on their other missions. They've come now to Corinth and they bring an offering from Macedonia. That's what they do. They deliver an offering from Macedonia to Paul. Because of the offering, Paul can stop tent making and devote himself completely, the Bible says, to the word of God. And that's what's happened in verse five. He has always been committed, but now because of the offering, he doesn't have to make tents any longer. And he gives himself completely to the word of God. Now I want you to see this. The people in Macedonia, I want you to think about them. They gave money to a preacher not in their city. They gave money to a church that they would never attend. They gave money to reach a people that they did not even know so that the gospel would go out. That's how invested those folks, those Christians in Macedonia were. That's how convinced they were. They gave their money to reach a people they had never even met. How committed should we be to Christ? How committed should we be to Christ? There's actually just one Greek word for devote completely. It means to be seized by, to be pressed by all sides, to be constrained by. And so we see here, Paul is consumed with this mission, the actual word, he is seized by this mission. The Bible says he is solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. The word solemnly means thoroughly, again, from one side to the other. It means earnestly. It means fully, totally. Again, see the picture here. Paul, now because of the offering, he is now daily urgently taking the Old Testament scriptures and he is consumed with the work of sharing Jesus Christ. He is consumed with telling the people Jesus is the one, Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the Messiah, and he is pleading with them using the scriptures, oh, do not miss Jesus. Oh, look at God's word. There's hope only in Jesus. Salvation comes through Jesus. And the Bible says here, it is all that Paul does. He's consumed in his commitment. How committed should we be to Christ? Paul's consumed, seasoning from all sides. How committed should you be to Christ, verse six. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. 
I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. I want you to see what's happened here in verse 6. Paul tries, he tries, he tries. His heart longs that they would be saved. So he tries, he goes back again. Yet the Bible says they resist. The word means to fight against. They fight against it. It literally means to line up in battle array. They prepare for battle. That's what the word means. He tries, oh, that they would hear the gospel, and yet they line up to fight. They blaspheme, the Bible says. It means to lie against, to slander. And so I want you to see this. They knowingly, deliberately reject the gospel of Jesus Christ that's held up in great sacrifice to them, that's held up in great grace to them. They reject the gospel. They fight against the gospel. They lie and they slander the gospel. So the Bible says Paul dusts off his clothes. It's a symbolic act. He shakes his clothes off and he says, it's on you. You've heard it all. It's on you. I'm not guilty of this. And he says, I will go to the Gentiles. Be sure that is a crazy statement. And I don't, I don't know that we understand the depth of how crazy that statement is. Be sure I will go to the Gentiles. What he says here is I'll go to the pagans. I'll go to the Gentiles. I'll go out to the temple with a thousand prostitutes. I'll go out to the wicked city. I'll go out to these that have no idea about God, those that aren't looking for the hope of a Messiah. I'll go to this lost city and I'll try to preach Jesus to them. Maybe they will hear. Shakes his clothes off. I'll go to the pagan. I'll go to the lost. And I'll preach Jesus. Maybe they will hear. Verse seven, then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God whose house was next to the synagogue. Notice something right here. I saw something right here. Paul says to the Jews, I'm done with you. That's what he says, I've preached and I've preached and I've preached. He says, it's on you now, you won't hear. I'm done with you. That's what he says, I'm, 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 I'm washing my hands of you. I'm done with you. Where does he set up camp? Where does he preach out of? See what it says? It's next door to the synagogue. I read that every city the Jews rejected him. Every city the Jews, they beat him, they beat him, they beat him. Every city the Jews, they try to kill him. The Jews, they don't want the message. The Jews, they can't stand the messenger. And yet he still loves them. 
He still loves them all that they would hear. Surely this time they'll hear. Surely this time they'll receive it. Their hearts will be open. It has to. It's still good news. And so he says, beat me if you want to. Beat me if you wish. I won't be hard to find, brother, but maybe today is the day of your salvation. And so he sets up and this preacher is rejected and he's beaten and he's tired and he's discouraged and he sets up camp next to the synagogue of the Jews, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He'll try again. Good job, Paul. Verse 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, evidently it works, believed in the Lord. Wow, that's a, that's a great line. Believed in the Lord. Found forgiveness in Christ. Was redeemed in the blood of the cross. Was made new in Jesus. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. In verse 8, it works. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, he believed in the Lord and all of his household. The Bible says, and many of the Corinthians, in hearing the gospel, they are believed and they are baptized. How committed to Christ should you be? How committed to Christ should we be? There's a strange event. Verses 9 and 10. Watch this. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. I want you to listen to that again. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you. For I have many people in this city. Watch this. Who does Paul serve? Who does Paul serve? Does he serve the people? Does he serve the Jews? Does he serve the Gentiles? Is that what he is, an apostle to the Gentiles? Does he serve the Gentiles? Who does he serve? Does he serve the church? Is he a servant of the church? He serves Jesus. And when he's tired, and when he's discouraged, and when he's been trying, who comes to comfort? Jesus. He says, do not be afraid any longer. And I read that and say, what a bold man Paul was. Why do you have to say that to him? He says, do not be afraid any longer. Lord, I don't want to be beaten anymore. Lord, I don't know what to expect anymore. Lord, I don't know which way to go. Jesus says, do not be afraid any longer. Jesus says, go on speaking. Continue what you were speaking. Remember, he was expounding the word of God. He says, keep on, Paul, 
Preach me, Paul. Preach my truth, my good news, Paul. Preach hope to a hopeless world. Preach peace to a world that's in turmoil. Preach the word, Paul. That's what you've been doing. Preach the word, Paul. Keep on, preach the word. Interesting, Paul's letter to Timothy, he writes, preach the word in season and out of season. He heard it from Jesus. Keep on, Paul, preach the word. And he says, and do not be silent. It literally translates, do not become silent. Do you know what the world wanted? Paul's silence. Do you know when the pressure would let up? Do you know when the persecution would stop? Do you know when the Jews would relent? It's if he would be silent. As fast as he would, they'd go away. That's what they want. Just be silent. But Jesus says here, I know, Paul. I see you, Paul. I know. But listen, this is no time to become silent. Do not become silent. Verse 10. For I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city, for I am with you. Do you remember the last words of Jesus before his ascension? Behold, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. The last words of Jesus, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That wasn't some greeting to go away on. That is the truth of Jesus. And he says, Paul, I am with you. I'm with you. He says, no man will attack you to harm you. And no man will attack you to harm you. I want you to see something here. Listen very carefully. This line is not tied to the ending line of the verse. Stay with me. For I have many people in this city. Now, it sounds like it. It sounds like that might be the truth. No one will attack you. No one's going to hurt you because I have many people in this city. That's what it sounds like. No, it is tied to the preceding line. I am with you, and so no man will attack you as to harm you. Those two lines go together. I am with you, and so no man, no person will attack you As to harm you, see this, the ending line stands alone. The ending line has its own message. The ending line is why he can't go silent. The ending line, listen, is why it matters. Jesus says, for I have many people in this city. For I have many people in this city, it translates this. There is to me much people in this city. There are many people for me in this city. Stay hooked. We're almost done. Stay with me. Jesus says, preach the word, Paul. He says, keep on, Paul. Don't be quiet, Paul. As hard as it is, as discouraged as you are, I see you. But don't be silent. 
Because here in this city of rebellious Jews, here in this city of pagan people, here in this wild city, there are many people that haven't heard the gospel yet. There are many people that aren't saved yet. And I purchased them in my own blood on the cross. I've paid for their sin. I've carried their guilt. You see this guilt? I've carried it. And salvation is provided for them. If only they'll receive it by faith. And so he says, look around, Paul. There's still many. There's still many. And just like I love you, I also love them. And so do not be silent. Look at the lostness. Do not be silent. How committed to Christ should we be? Are there still some that haven't heard? How committed to Christ should we be? Listen, this is too much. This is too radical. Fit somewhere in the middle. Listen, aren't there still lost people outside of Christ? Aren't there still some that have not heard? And so go on speaking and do not become silent. How committed to Christ should we be? Are there some who still haven't heard? Let's pray. Dear Father, we come. I ask you to forgive us where we forget the mission. Forgive us where we can look at and laugh at those that are hurting outside of Christ. Where we can even separate from and look in disdain at those that don't know you. Forgive us where we lose our hearts of compassion, our eyes, for those that are carrying the shame of their sin, their guilt of their sin. Lord, help us to look around and see a lost and dying world. Help us to see the sign of the times that you're coming very shortly, Lord. Help us to be completely consumed in our commitment. Help us to set aside things that do not matter. Help us set aside priorities that won't, that won't bear any fruit for your glory. Lord, help us to be witnesses. Help us not to be silent. Help us to preach the truth of the gospel, our Savior, Jesus. Lord, I, I pray first off that you have instructed us today. I pray that you've led us to see there's lost folks all around us that you've encouraged us to be consumed in our commitment. I also know that there's probably some in this room that do not know you, and I pray that in the hearing of this gospel, Lord, in the removal of any barrier that today they might be saved. Lord, I'm thankful that you do love us. I'm thankful that you see a city like Corinth, so messed up, so wicked, so rebellious, you love him so much that you sent your only begotten son. He would die. He would pay for sin. He's risen from the dead, standing as the victor from sin, and that you would send a preacher the gospel of hope to proclaim to that city. Lord, help us to see that. Help us to commit. Help us to be consumed in our commitment. Lord, I give you this service. It's yours. Lord, I pray that you would move in this time of invitation I pray that you would speak. We tell you we do love you. We do worship you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.